You are listening to the Pork Pals Podcast with Peter, Donna Marie and Maeve. Let's go fishing for gossip, people. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's very special edition of the Pork Pals Podcast. Good morning, ladies. Well, everybody's all... You know, done up this morning. Everybody's got makeup <laughs> on, looking wide awake. This is not normal for our for our half nine starts. <laughs> we well, made an effort today. It's a very exciting morning. It's a very exciting morning for us today. It is. It is. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> and for oh, anyone man. who was listening very closely, there they heard a strange voice in the background. We had we had an extra female voice with us this morning, and our very special guest is you will know her as the Chief Stew from Below Deck Adventure. She is a backpacker, world traveler, businesswoman, and all-round beauty. It's Miss <laughs> Faye Clark. <laughs> Love that. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. So, good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us, Faye. You're, you're, you're very uh, good for giving up your time. Oh, absolute pleasure. I love chatting, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, how have you been? We haven't uh, we haven't obviously seen you on our screens in, you know, must be coming up for 12 months now. So how, is, how have you been since we last I saw know, you? I know, right? Yeah, I'm trying to push for a second uh, series of Below Deck Adventure. But um, after uh, when we filmed in Norway... Um, I had a job on a 60-meter super yacht in Antigua. And um, I, I was on there for like six months, and then I needed a break. Um, I've been traveling for nearly 15 years, and I don't know what it was. I was living in Antigua, and like I had a great crew, a great boat, great owner, you know, living in Antigua, and nothing was making me happy. I was like, I'm bored. And, and I was just like this is my calling. I think I need to go back to the UK. I need to be with my family. I need to be with my dogs. I need a bit of normality. I need to get in a car and turn the radio on and sleep in a proper bed and have a garden. So I took about just over a year out and just live in a bit more of a normal life. Um, We'll say that I never actually live a normal life. (laughs) Business. So that's um, my passion at the moment. But yeah, not doing half as much work as what I was doing when I was on below deck. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Took a year to recover. Oh my god! Very good, very good. So you said you've been you've been traveling for for fifteen years. So let's let's roll the clock back a little bit. And if you'd like to tell us how how did how did that get started? How did you how did you first get yourself on the road? Well, to be honest, Peter, when I look back, when I would say. 1920 it didn't matter what I did whether I was constantly working out at the gym whether I was getting promotions at work um you know quite glamorous at the nightclubs and this and that nothing was making me happy I used to live in southeast London in a flat and I used to go on the balcony it was always raining and my soul was just constantly unhappy it just always felt uncomfortable I was always when I was walking the dogs, I was always like in a daydream and I would walk for hours and just go into all these stories and like, you know, just daydream. And then I was like, I've got to go, I've got to leave. And when I was 21, I got on a plane to Hong Kong and um, didn't really return for about 13 years. I just 
kept going and going. Wow. Yeah, I think the breaking point was I was actually in quite a violent relationship at age, I think I was maybe 20, and there was there just seemed no way out. And my mum and dad found out about it. Certain people were finding out, out about it, and we just decided, put me on a plane, <laughs> evacuate, and uh, it was the best move I ever did. And I haven't looked back since. I've met so many different characters, so many different people, so many different families. And I think I've always just been so intrigued by different cultures, different personalities, different characters. And I think because for so long I was a makeup artist and I was working with the general public, you know, knowing body language, characters and things like that, that really helped um, you know, when you work with the general public, knowing yeah. what they want, knowing how to deal with them, customer service, knowing what they want before they want it, things like that. So I just went off on my travels to basically analyze people of all different natures, really, rich, poor. Um, I actually lived in Vietnam and Cambodia for a while. And I realized that, you know, I'd sit at the table with these families that are so poor and I could see in the look in the woman's eyes or her facial expressions towards her husband was almost exactly the same kind of look my auntie used to give my uncle (laughs) when she was angry you know there wasn't much difference and I'm like the world is such a beautiful place and families are so important absolutely absolutely so why why Hong Kong what what was the when you got on a plane? It doesn't seem like the it doesn't seem like a normal destination for a, a girl from Southeast London. Oh my god, it was far from normal, Peter. Honestly, <laughs> we got because I think it was just like a stepping stone because we was going to Australia, and um, so basically, I met six girls at an airport, and I went traveling with them. I'd never met them before. But we like 20 years on, we're still best friends. And we, oh. um, when we were traveling, people knew about us before we'd even got there. Because, you know, like six girls traveling together, you can imagine the mess, first of all, you know, all the clothes, <laughs> makeup, and everything. And um, yeah, we just got a bit of a name for ourselves, I suppose, because the six girls that were backpacking in, I think it was 2006. But the reason we went to Hong Kong was, yeah, because it was stepping stone. But when we got there, we actually got a bus from the airport to our hostel, whatever. And I was reading up on where we were going and it was saying most dangerous place in Hong Kong. Do not attempt to go here. And I was like, oh, (laughs) it was our first stop and it was awful. It was like out of... um, Oh, what's that film? Is it sore when they're stuck in like a toilet and it's just oh my god, tiles? Yes. yes. And that, yes. that was our hostel, just tiles and a mattress on the floor. And oh, I was like, no. and then my friend woke up and I looked at her, and she obviously hasn't looked in the mirror. She is covered in what looked like measles, but it must have been bed bugs. Oh. And that was our first night. So yeah. Oh, and it went on like that. But it was an absolute experience that year. The people we met what we come across, what we experienced. And I think because when you experience something for the very, very first time, you're never going to experience that again, whether it's love or a food or a destination or an activity. And I think I was always trying to recreate that fun and that excitement that I had that year. 
So I've kept going and going, trying to find it and haven't really settled since until the last year where I actually did move back to the UK. So that's why I think it took about 15 years for me to actually move back to the UK. Yeah, it's it's almost uh, chasing chasing that first initial high still again, but yeah. doing it in a, in a much more, obviously a much more constructive way than probably most people would uh would know it but they do say when it comes to um you know that sort of incredible experience and the people you share it with so like obviously you experiencing it with them they're the only ones that it will ever understand how you feel about that year exactly you can tell the stories but yeah until you was there um yeah the stories were unbelievable so did you guys just did you guys work your way around Australia or just No, we didn't. And back then I'm not sure if it's still about now, but it's called the STA travel. And you um book, say, 10 flights, and they're super cheap. And um you just have them flights. And I traveled for I think a year on three thousand pounds. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's incredible. That is <laughs> That is, you wouldn't get the, I don't think you'd get the flights now for £3,000. No, I think anything else. spending money, the flights were about 1500 which was still really good. Yeah. But I think FTA travel is like when people are doing like a gap year and stuff like that. So they do it quite cheap. And I, I believe it's still going on. Ah, very good. Very good. So when you, you finished up in Australia and then you moved in, you moved to uh, Southeast Asia then, was it into Vietnam? And was that was that the next no, step? The actual reason why I moved to Vietnam and Cambodia was many years later. So um, I was living in Dubai. I lived in Dubai for six years, and that's when I was my, the businesswoman. I was um, flown from London to Dubai to basically helped some stores that were going under in Dubai uh, for Bobby Brown, which is obviously a makeup artist from America. Um, I learned so much working for her. It's an American company. They're always sending you on seminars, uh, really like pushing the brand um, loyalty and all that into you and customer service. And her business actually became part of my DNA. And I just dedicated my whole life to be a successful businesswoman for her, which I was, uh, but it did take its toll. And um, I had a stroke actually at age 31. And I think it's just because living in Dubai, I was a single woman, businesswoman, I took on too much. Um, There was so much pressure living in Dubai as well. And I was also setting up my own business as well. And um, I got pretty sick. And then I said to my friend, you know what? I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of networking. I'm tired of people. I'm tired of trying to be better and better and, and achieving more and more. I need a break. I'm going to the forest Um, again I listened to my soul you know from before and I was like people would just annoy me and I just thought I need to get out so um I just met this girl her name was Jennifer and we were flat sharing and she said okay I'll come with you and I tell you what I couldn't have gone with a better girl like she's just as strong as me she's half German half uh, Spanish. She's got a bit of South African in her as well. And she is one strong woman. And me and her just basically hitchhiked for about four months. 
around Cambodia and Vietnam, as soon as we saw an Irish pub, no offence, uh, <laughs> we went the complete opposite way. Um, we One time we travelled 12 hours um, to this place called Elephant Forest. So I thought it was going to be full of elephants, but it's not. It was just this forest. And this man showed us and we was in a treehouse and he took us up and was in this treehouse and there's all pigs and chickens running around. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And you looked over all the forest and you're in this treehouse. But, oh, no, there was rats running around the beam. There was rats in our uh, backpacks. Um, as soon as it rained, every spider, every insect came to us for to take shelter. I was like, oh, and there was all this like larvae coming out of the mattress. And I was like, Jennifer, where are we? And I looked it up on like Google and it said, do not go to this place unless you've had every jab. There's Dengue fever, <laughs> there's this, there's that, there's this, there's that. And I was like, oh, I'm not that poor. Let's go find a hotel. Let's go. And um, the next day we were out of there. I think we lasted three days there at Head Lice. I, that I picked up from like a family we were staying with so I saw them putting lime juice on their hair to get rid of the lice so obviously I put lime juice on my hair and then obviously that attracted every <laughs> wasp and bee and, I'm like, and then the juice <laughs> and there's ants all in the place oh yeah and then there's yeah so yeah that was that was a tough uh traveling time for me and when I look back, I say to Jennifer now, like, how did we survive? <laughs> how did we survive? Could never do it again, but it was an amazing experience again. Yeah, that's that just sounds incredible. When, when <laughs> you started talking about tree houses and all those rats, Donna Marie, I can't just help but think about your reaction when we saw when we stayed in a tree house in Thailand and you saw one cockroach. Oh, <laughs> Oh, oh, cockroaches. Not, you're not just talking about Spanish cockroaches here. In Thailand, they have like tentacles longer than my arm. Like, I know, know they're the size are, of mice. They're huge. <laughs> oh, no, I'm gone. Gone. Had to no, no matter how much traveling I did, cockroach is the one thing I can just, I will, I will never, ever accept. They oh. have to be got rid of. Yeah, they're just, I think. They fly. They fucking fly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a, a proper punch up with a cockroach, which is a proper full on fight. They yeah. don't go down easily. No. I can't feel. And then when you kill, like the, 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 the eggs come out then, like I mean they're, oh. they're bred. They're bred to stay gone. Let's face it. Yeah. <laughs> don't just oh. don't. But so you left the you left the forest. <laughs> you left that part of the the journey journey behind you. Where where to next? So I went back to Dubai because my friend Jennifer. She um always won. She was um an equestrian like she was a horse riding trainer. Oh, very good. She did a really good job. So she flew back to Dubai. I uh, was studying Muay Thai boxing, which I did for eight years. So I went to a boxing camp and. Um, just did a lot of a lot of boxing for a few more weeks, and then I was like, right, okay, I'm a little bit lonely on my own. There's only so much you know you can do with like I, I was just again surrounded by chickens and Thai boys training to fight and this and that again in the jungle. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to Dubai. Went back there, and it just I don't know. Again, I think 
I'd done everything I set out to achieve in Dubai and I needed to move on. And four years uh, previous, I was speaking to a girl and she was saying that she was met a guy on Tinder and he worked on super yachts. And she said he earned a fortune. And for four years, that just stayed in my in my brain thinking, mm. and obviously when I was in Dubai, I was always on yachts. And I mean, there's one thing partying on yachts and another thing working, cleaning toilets. But I knew that I liked being at sea and I loved yachts and I loved the jet skis and all of that. So I was like, okay, now is the time. I think I'm going to kick off my stilettos and have a job working in flip-flops. And so I flew myself to a place called Viareggio, which is in Italy. Bearing in mind, I knew nothing about like marinas or yachts or anything like that. But I picked out a pair of navy trousers that I'd had for years and a white top, did my makeup, and I walked along the marina with a CV that I kind of not lied, but I just said about my experience that I had with people and that I like cooking and that I'm very active, which I was. And I walked up and down this marina and I was trying to hand my CV out. So all the you can imagine all the boats are just docked and there's deckies polishing them, this and that. And I'd be like, hi, can you take my CV? And they'd be like, no. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, no. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> give me two of that bin. I haven't come all this way for nothing. And um, literally, I think within two hours, I sat in a coffee shop and I was obviously on my own. And there was two guys there. They started talking to me. I, I think I just have a face where people like to talk to me. I think it's because I'm quite bubbly and chubby. <laughs> so uh, these guys started talking to me with their coffee. And it just so happened that, one of the guys was like a filthy rich American dude that owned about six yachts. And the other guy he was sitting having coffee with was his captain. And um, I ended up working for them for three years. And that's right. where my yachting uh, career started. And I was 32 at that age, at that time, sorry. So um, I, I said to them, like, I'm no, I'm no mug. Like, I've traveled the world. I've done this. I've done that. Um like I wasn't like as a 19 year old that was scared I was quite confident I suppose and I believe it doesn't matter if you're 19 or you're 29 you have to be confident and you do have to sell yourself so I worked for them just cooking and looking after the crew and one uh day they said right we're going on a charter and this was the first charter and they hired in a chief stewardess this chief stewardess didn't get out of bed every day till five o'clock in the afternoon. Oh my she, god! He would stay up smoking roll ups and drinking coffee and pretend to everyone that she was up with the guests. So I was like, "I'm taking this opportunity." So I'd get up and I'd clean and I'd take over and I'd do this and I'd do that, so that my captain saw. And then I got promoted. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and then uh, that's when I just was like, right, okay, the world is my oyster. And I um, before, I mean, I worked my way up pretty quick. I think within four years, I was chief steward. I could have probably done it quicker, but I didn't. I'd come from quite a stress stressful career before. I just wanted to cook and look after my crew. I'm always the mother hubbard of everyone. Um, but then I thought, you know what? There's so much money to be earned, and I wouldn't like to leave this industry without feeling successful and that I'd achieved. So I was like, okay, now I'm going to go for Chief Stew. 
after seeing the caliber of some of the chief shoes out there, I was like, I know I can definitely do this. So I did. And I've always been an organizer and a leader, especially when, when it comes to hosting. I think because we've got quite an old school family. Like it was always our house that everyone came around after football. So we had the whole football team for breakfast. Um, on a Sunday, it was always our house that did the roast dinner. And we had like 10 family members dancing up and down the front room, granddad on the piano. You know, it was always our house that was sociable. So I don't know. I think that's just in me. And I always like looking after my crew, looking after my guests. Again, with all my travels and working in the beauty industry, I kind of know what people want before they even know they want it themselves. And I just really enjoyed it. And then it was actually Below Deck that approached me. They must have heard about me from somewhere or um, something. And also, I kept getting inboxes from people that was watching Below Deck saying, Faye, you need to go on Below Deck. And to be honest, I don't watch reality TV. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a doer, if you get what I mean. So, and I video everything I do just to share it with people. And also so that I don't have to ring everyone and tell them how I am. If you want to know how I am, what I'm doing, just watch my Instagram. Like, I'm fed up with repeating myself to mum, dad, granddad, my friends, blah, blah, Um, So then, yeah, I had an interview with the production team, and I had loads of makeup on and great big American hair because I was in America <laughs> um, on a fishing boat. And uh, they were like, oh, my God, hey, we love you. <laughs> like, okay, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. Um, and they offered me the part as Chief Stew, um in Norway. I wouldn't have gone for Norway if it had been like, say, Mediterranean or somewhere like that because I'd never been Norway this one was new. It was called Adventure. And I was like, that's what I'm all about. Imagine, you know, some of the things we can do. So it sounded just really good. And then when she said, I got it. And I was like, do I really want to go on TV winging it? Because I've pretty much been winging my way around the world. Like, what if I muck up? What if I look ugly? What if, I don't know, I get drunk? And, you know, and everyone can see this. My granddad, my mum's going to be watching this. And um, I said, actually, I'm sorry, I decline. I'm not going to do it. And then the whole next day I thought, I'm just on a fishing boat in the middle of nowhere on my own with a 70-year-old captain. I was happy. I was happy. But I'm like, I was content. I'm like, but content gets you nowhere. Am I going to lay in my coffin and go, oh, do you know what? I was really happy on that fishing boat. Or there was this one time I did an adventure in Norway. I was like, oh, spot it. Okay, I'll call her back. And uh, she said, um, yeah, we still want you. And um, that was it. And that was my journey towards Below Deck. Wow. wow. That's 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 pretty, uh, that's a pretty incredible uh incredible journey Faye. I, think, I think i think i think i speak for our, the three of us here when we're just kind of whoa that's pretty much a, a whirlwind over a number of years yeah but everything was just like by accident everything was just falling into place i didn't push for any of this i just followed what my body wanted to do sometimes you do have to take yourself out of your comfort zone i'm a strong believer in if something scares you do it just mm. do it um otherwise you're gonna regret it and 
You never know. Just do everything you can to the best you possibly can. Be the best role model. Don't compare yourself to the worst. Compare yourself to the best. And just be kind and funny and think before you speak or before you react. And hopefully you'll do all right in life. (laughs) I just think it's amazing. I mean, you really, really lived. And like... Like anybody, I mean, I'm sure you've had bad times. You, you said yourself, yeah, you had a stroke. What stopped you from going home in them times? Because, like, I know me, I'd be like, ma, I want me, ma. Yeah. And I'd be gone, like, you know, so, yeah. What well, no, gone? honestly, Donna, I did go home after I had the stroke. And obviously, my mom, like, for it doesn't matter how long I'm gone for, she's always, I can say something like, I can be in Dubai or I don't know, Florida and go, oh, the dishwasher's broke. And she'll be like, well, this is your chance to come home. Like, <laughs> things are going wrong. Like, every opportunity my mum could say, come home, she would say, come home. Um, but after I had the stroke, I did go home and I thought, do you know what, I'm going to set up a life in London and I redecorated my bedroom and my dad came in and he went, are you sure you're going to be all right in London? You left for a reason. And I was like, Dad, you're right. What am I doing? I need to get back on that flight. So I got back on the flight and I got the flight that I was supposed to get, uh, just caught it. And then I got, no, I got on that flight and then what was it? Then I had a second thing and I was like, I've just left my family behind. I just redecorated my room. Now I'm going back to Dubai. I've already done Dubai. Why am I going back? And I started getting all indecisive and I was like, stop the plane. I was like, I don't feel well. I need to get off the plane. So they let me off the plane and I rang my mum and dad and I was like, are you still at the airport? They're like, we've just got in the car. I'm like, come back. I decided not to go. And then I got off. I mean, there was times where I was indecisive, Donna. It, it's not easy. And you do think, am I making the right decision? It, and it's, just, it's not a small decision. You know, it's no. pretty big. And it's not just like when you go to somewhere like Dubai, you have to find an apartment. You have to find a new SIM card for your phone, a new car, a new this, a new that. You know, setting up a life, it's hard. And But anyway, I ended up going back to Dubai after all of that, to and from, to and from, to and from. So, yeah, it, you know, it, and obviously I'm from quite a traditional family as well. It's not like, you know, I, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. It was always quite a struggle for me. I know some girls that are still living in Dubai now, and I'm like, are you still there? But they yeah. they haven't come from such a tight family like me. They they found their family out there, but I never did. I was I was always in terrible relationships out there and getting myself in all sorts of trouble. So I think I had to leave before I got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> We might have been we might have been watching that watching you on banged up abroad rather than below that yeah. adventure. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Your story is just amazing. Like amazing. And I mean, you you've done all of this, but were there times where you know you you saw and experienced some horrible things? You know, when you were you're doing your yachting and things like that. I mean, you must have had some nasty guests at some point you know that were just not nice people I mean you, you said earlier on you love meeting like rich and poor people I mean in my experience some rich people can be assholes you know what Donna I'm going to be absolutely honest with you over all my years of traveling and being in all these situations 
the yachting industry, I never really came across moody, nasty people because most of my clients were American. Um, mm. They are very bubbly. And at the end of the day, they're on their vacation. So mm. they've been working and grafting their houses off all year, you know, these businessmen or whatever. And then yeah. they go on the yacht and they're finally actually with their family, which they're not usually when they're back home because they're working all the time. So they're with their family. They're in the element. They've usually got great chefs preparing great food. There's me that's doing everything I can to help them. And generally, they're really nice people. They're on holiday. Um, I wish I had some really bad stories to tell you because everyone loves a bit of a, you know, a drama story. But I don't. These people were at sea on a super yacht. They're happy. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah go on. I often don't I say this to these guys, you know, when we're watching below deck and you see some guests that are difficult, I'm like, we wouldn't be like that. We're on our holidays. We will be so chill. All we want to do is eat and drink. And yeah. be so nice. Like so, you know, I just wondered where it was that more so for TV, those yeah. difficult. The yes. worst ones are so you have the really rich ones, for example, the celebrities, and they bring friends. It's usually the friends that are the difficult ones, you know, uh, yeah. that come with so much luggage for like three days and you have to unpack it all. And they have like toiletries everywhere and self-tan and bronzers all up the wall. And it's like when I, um, when it was lockdown, I was in the UK um, looking after my family, this and that, and it got to about three weeks. And I was like, I cannot be locked down in the UK much longer I'm gonna fake some boat papers and I'm getting out of here <laughs> and I did and I flew to America because I thought I can't I cannot stay in the UK much longer and I flew to America got on a boat um with this girl uh she was a chief student Mandy she's so lovely she went right and um, we've got a charter in two days the guest um is Justin Timberlake and I tried to act really cool I was like <laughs> oh, okay but inside, I love Justin Timberlake. Like, I'm a, I'm a 90s girl. And I, I'm ready and, you know, doing all the dancing around the front room to Justin Timberlake. And uh, so I just acted really cool. And then he got on and he was lovely. And so was his wife, Jessica. And they were so nice. And he had this nanny um, and she was lovely. But their friends, they were the ones that were the more ones shall we say so yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's um a bit of an insight into guests and stuff yeah, that, that's interesting that you say that it's usually it's usually the friends and this is something that we've touched on like that in the podcast the kind of the difference between the difference between people you know who are just used to that lifestyle and the people then that kind of come along into it maybe just you know either new money or like that they're brought along as a friend they're not used to it and it it, it can change them like I mean this may not even be how they are outside of this environment exactly exactly it's always them that want to try the try to be vegan for the last few days or they want to I don't know no sugar or garlic in their meals and you're like really <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so getting back to when you getting back to just below deck adventure when you got started what tell us about how different it was than when you were 
you know, working? Because obviously now you're not just doing your job. You're not just looking after the guests. You've got a camera crew around you. These, yeah. There's, there's a lot more people on the boat than there normally is. Yeah. Um. The And honestly, you don't just have one cameraman. You have two, don't you? You have the one that has the great big camera on their shoulder and the one behind them with the big fluffy thing, you know, the sound one. And a boat, you know, especially in the crew quarters, is very tight. And so there's us plus them. And one of the cameramen, he was quite a big guy. And I'm running up and down the stairs. And then down the stairs, I'm like, oh, I forgot a fork. Run up the stairs. Oh, I forgot this. Run down the stairs. And he is running behind me. Bless him. Oh, and I remember one time, like, we're, we're talking, and all I can hear behind me is, <gasps> and I'm like, are you okay? And another time I was running down the stairs and one of the cameramen fell, like, really bad. Like, because there's spirals, you know, staircases yeah. usually on a yacht and they're wooden and he fell. And we are actually told never acknowledge the cameraman. You don't say good morning. You don't say good night. You do not speak to them. If they fall, you leave them. We actually have to act as if they are not there uh, and just get on with our job. And when he fell, and I mean, it's human instinct to go are you okay uh and I did at that point you know cut it if you have to cut it out you know blah 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 but um bless them they work so hard not only that Peter like there was times where we were doing activities up in the mountains and you know they must have got up so early and um to to position themselves and they have to go the day before to work out where they're going to position themselves to get the best shot um, you know, it was difficult for me, like doing all these like abseiling and things like that, let alone them with ca- ca- these mm. huge, heavy cameras on their shoulders. And they did a fabulous job. And to be honest, when I watch Below Deck Adventure back, I'm quite upset with the footage that they showed because there was so much that went on. And I know they only have a certain amount of airtime, but so much more went on. Like we, um, I think on the second day we hired a real Viking boat of the guests to to go on. They was drinking, they were rowing. It was hilarious. That never got shown. Wow. There was a point where um, Captain Kerry in his full uniform swung off of the um, crane off the end of the boat and just went straight into the into the water just to make the guests laugh. We did dance routines when we were upset. Uh, we used to talk to the coffee machine as if it was our therapist. You know, funny things yeah. like that. And they just didn't show it. And I'm like, oh, okay. See, so I don't know. My idea of um, doing a, a spin-off that's slightly different is make it different. Make it funny. Make it uplifting. Make it adventurous. Keep the drama. But, you know, make it a bit different. So hopefully we can push for a second season and maybe a different production team. I'm not sure how it all works, um, but who knows? I'm sure one will be on its way. I had actually said that on last week's episode, or when we were even talking about this, um, that I found Below Deck Adventure wasn't very adventure. I know they disagreed with me, but I felt like there could have been more that was shown of like actual things. Like, absolutely down a mountain, yeah, it's amazing, it's fantastic. But I thought like they'd be doing like orienteer and hikes and things like that as well. But and then like that, the biking boat would have been a gigantic adventure. So that should have been shown. 
there was so many more adventures and I don't know why it wasn't shown. And there was one point where we did paragliding and literally Steph, one of the guests, the, the, the professional, I forgot what they're called, was 70 years old, a Viking lady. And I think she panicked because there was so many um, camera crew around her. And literally she just went to pop and they ran off the cliff and the old lady fell over and didn't have enough thing and then it all got muddled up and the parachute thing got all tied around and Steph hit her head and then it happened with the next guest after that and I'm like I'm sorry but did you get that on did you get that on camera because that make great tv and they didn't show it I'm like wow. like there was so much that went on so I don't know it it, it has bugged me a little bit that's why I yeah. was around we never saw you on a night out. Was that COVID-related or...? Well, it was Norway. There wasn't much going on on nights out. Um, it was COVID-related and Norway was extremely strict as well. And also, we, it was such a fast pace that you didn't actually get to know the crew. So to sit at a dinner table and make fantastic drama or conversation, <laughs> you'd be pulling conversation from nowhere I mean Oriana was quite good at that she didn't care what she said she was trying to pull some kind of entertainment you know everyone's away from their families cameramen are you know this and that we're here to do but there wasn't that much to talk about because all we did was work 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 and we didn't have time to actually bond and get to know each other's personalities whereas if we had a second season and we feel a bit more comfortable with each other you know, conversation would flow yeah. a bit better, blah, blah, blah. But also another thing was I did extravagant things every single night. And obviously because it's getting videoed, uh, uh, film, sorry, like I couldn't do the same one twice, whereas right. you usually would in normal life. So I did like, oh, the, the parties I threw. And I think they only showed one, which was um, I think like um, a drag queen one that actually Casey did and that was the only one and I was like what about all the other crazy parties we threw and also it's difficult because you cannot put music on because of copyright so for me to try and create an atmosphere and a party with no music yeah was really tough yeah that's I actually I actually never thought of that that never kind of came into mind that yeah there seems to be a lack of music when we watch all these shows and obviously the the the, the copyright aspect of it yeah yeah wow. you can't even sing like sometimes i'd be singing they're like stop singing little mermaid oh yeah you see, i wouldn't be able because i'd be doing that as well i'd be singing when i'm cleaning cooking so no i wouldn't last Exactly. So there was a lot of struggles that people don't even wouldn't even think about. It was yeah. it was a really tough, tough season for me. That's and then you exhausted as well, wouldn't you? Like I mean Sorry? say you're walk, 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 and the exhaustion creeps in on you, but you're not allowed to be exhausted. No, I, no, so. you couldn't let that if if that crept up on me. And that was it, over. I was doing pretty much everything. And there was even at one point I was mapping out Lewis's um, passage to for him to get his tender to the dock. And I'm like, so I'm throwing parties, I'm doing service, 
I'm doing picnics, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Now I'm mapping his trip on his tender. Like, and that's when I went to Kerry and said, I'm taking on too much. The boys are sleeping. I I I slept probably I was if I I was lucky if I got four hours a night. I had no hot water either. I know I sound like I'm moaning, but and I'm a pretty tough bird. I don't think any other Chief Shudess could have dealt with what I dealt with there. Like no hot water for for six weeks in my wow. cabin. And when you've been working all day and it's like two o'clock in the morning and all you want to do is a nice warm shower, that hate cold showers, hate them. Um, you know, and it's just like, for example, I would want a Viking costume um, for one of the themes and you'd think they would, uh, like I could just order one, but they would actually deliver me a Viking costume that's from the museum that weighs a <sighs> <laughs> like I couldn't even put the helmet on because it would break my neck. Like and the, and the chain, the chain um, outfit. Just store it. Find somewhere to put it afterwards and lift it up, lift it down. Oh God, honestly, you wouldn't believe what went on behind the scenes. I'm guessing. I'm guessing that part of Norway is not overly used to super yachts. Exactly. That was the impression that I got because every even watching um like the 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 chef go off to spar to get like some of the provisions and stuff, it all seemed to be this is not what we're used to watching. It's very different. Yeah, yeah. I mean the location they chose, that particular part of Norway was quite remote as well. Um Literally, there were so many challenges, not just for me as a chief stew, but probably for the production team as well. And, I mean, they must have spent an absolute fortune on, on, on that trip because Norway is not a cheap place either. No, no. Um, but the, I think one of the main reasons um, why they picked Norway is because it had been hit so hard by COVID. We really wanted to show the world how beautiful Norway is and maybe, like, increase their um, tourism and things like that. And... Honestly, I would recommend Norway. Like the the air just seems so fresh. Like it was different to any other air I'd like experienced. It was fresh and clean and and the views, it was it was magical. And I said that in the thing, it was magical. A bit like um New Zealand. I would compare it to New Zealand, but with a lot more history. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. And something like obviously talking about, you know, people getting tired and stuff like that. Obviously, we saw towards the end of the season, tempers getting frayed between various crew members. Was that was what we saw only the tip of the iceberg or was that sort of, you know, basically it? No, that was the tip. And that's another thing. You, you feel that they want drama. I mean, I, there was one point where I went in on um, Nathan. It was the last night I had a huge, like, five-star event to do with all the champagne and the poppers and things like that. It was the last charter. We was all getting on each other's nerves. And Jess had her earpods in listening to music. She was at the end of her tether as well. So I think that's why she had music on. And she gave her other earpod to um, Nathan. And they're dancing around the kitchen, uh, sorry, around the galley, almost showing off that they're happy. I'm stressed <laughs> as hell. You know, I've got eight people to feed with five star bed and they're dancing around, in a way, being cocky. 
And that's when I lost it. I went, Nathan, you are in a galley. I am preparing a five-star event right now. Have some respect for my position and take that earbud out. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went, oh, and I'm not usually like that. I'm really, I'm really not. But I thought, you're taking the mickey now and I'm losing it. So get that fucking thing out your ear and have some respect for this galley and the job that we're doing. And I lost it, and they didn't show they didn't show that for some reason either. <laughs> I think viewers would want to see. Yeah, I wonder how much of that you know not showing certain aspects of it is when you've got you know sort of an a more an American face and production crowd. Are they sort of you know? Th- thinking more of the American audience rather than, you know, sort of, because obviously like this side of the water, we love a bit of drama here, but maybe, you know, the American take on things is a little different. Maybe they want to show it in a, um, the industry in a more positive light without the, uh, without the background. Yeah. Peter, I get where you're coming from. I generally do think our sense of humor and our, um, what's the word? Our, yeah, our sense of humor is different to the Americans. But at the end of the day, it's a reality show. I thought they all like drama. You know, I, yeah. I think a mixture is good. I think it's good to to show the drama, but then five minutes later, see us all dancing together. And so people go, oh, and it's relatable then, isn't it? You yeah. know, we do all like lose it at some point, but we all know that we're living and working together. Let's dance it out. And, yeah. you know, we would just do this little kind of two-step routine. It looked really good. Um, and that, and um, but I don't know, I don't know, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Mm. Now, I, I do have a question because this is something that we've seen in several you know, we've seen a good few franchises, and you've worked on a lot of ships American captain or Aussie captain? Oh, don't need to put like you on the spot professionally. Um. Oh, I like Australians. I do <laughs> like Australians. I like to have a beer with them, and they've got the same sense of humour as me. Um, my first captain, the one that I was telling you about that I met in the coffee shop, he was Australian. And um, I think the Aussies, they're like real men. Like, they want to get involved. They want to fix things. They want to do things. They, they don't mind doing that. Um, and the Americans, I don't know, like superhero American captain kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know. I like them all, but for my taste, it's more Aussies. I agree. Like you can see it watching down under, you know, he gets stuck in, no bother to him. Whereas yeah. the likes of Lee and Sandy, they just didn't, you know. Yeah. Sandy used to get stuck in. Yeah, it's just like I paid my dues. That's not my job. That's your job. Whereas, you know, Jason is like, I don't mind doing it. Yeah. And I think I think we were all happy when like that, when we heard Lee was retiring and it was Kerry that was going to be stepping in on the main franchise. It was like, okay, that's yeah, we're we're happy with that. We really enjoyed Kerry. He was really good. So Mm. yeah. If Kerry, like what you see is what you get with Kerry. And like if something was going wrong, like we had COVID three times on that boat. And wow. A lot has to be organised when you have COVID on a boat. Everything has to be, um, like, what's the word? Not extinguished, but, you know, like fumigated. Sterilised and everything. Sterilised, this and that. And people had to uh, get off the boat and the camera crew, the production team were like, oh, let's do it this way. And he's like, no, this is my boat. 
I'm captain of this boat. We're doing it my way. And he put his foot down. And it was his first time as well. He'd never been on TV before. You know, he is in charge of not just his crew, but the camera crew. Um, So he had a huge job. And he went through a lot of stress. He came out in hives at one point from stress. Um, But no matter what, he was great with guests. He flirted when he needed to flirt with a guest. He was, you know, he was fun. Um, yeah, and I've always said this, like, he's one of my favourite captains. I'd die to work with him again. We get on fine. He can have a laugh and joke with me and know that I'm not going to go to HR about it, basically. I'm one yeah. of them and he's one of them as well. <laughs> excellent, excellent. This has been, uh, it's been incredible, Faye. I really appreciate you, uh, you've given up your time. Any, just any, did the girls have any final thoughts? Any final questions before we... Uh... Just what is next for you? I mean, if you got a phone call tomorrow saying, look, season two, or, you know, we want you on Matter, would you, would you do it? Would you jump at the chance? would do it because I worked so hard on Below Deck Adventure. I'm not ready to give up. I'm not finished yet. I, You know what I'm like? I'm competitive. Yeah. I want to achieve stuff. So definitely I'd give it another shot. And I don't think anything could ever be harder than the one I did in Norway. So Hopefully it's a bit more breezy. So, yeah, I would love to do something. Also, if I cook in, I'd love a cooking show or something like that. Um, yeah. But I'm not giving up on yachting just yet. Well, as a viewer, I have watched literally every episode of every franchise below deck. And I just think there's a lot of chief stews that come on and you know they're just a one season one. You know you're never going to see them again. And then there's one that comes along every now and again and you're like, we need to see her again. We need to see her again. And Is that's that how me? I feel that's about you. Faye. <laughs> I really want to see you on Below Deck again. Like I have said that from the get-go, like before we even had our podcast, when we used to be watching the episode, I'm like, we need to see her again. We need to see her again. Oh, you know? Donna, thank you. So I really hope we do. I really hope Bless we do. You. Thank Thanks. you so much for coming on today. I have had absolute a pleasure anytime. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's just yeah, brilliant. We really, really appreciate you giving up, uh, giving up your time, Faye, for, and coming on the podcast. And thank you so much. And hopefully, we'll see you on our screens again soon. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. Thank you, everyone. Have a fabulous day. Lots of love. You. Bye. Thank you you so too. Much. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.